Welcome to Getting Technetical, a Technetics podcast. Your source for insights on engineered ceiling and component solutions for the world's most demanding environments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Welcome to another episode. We are thrilled to have you along with us here today. Today, we're talking about how the aviation industry is going greener. We're going to talk about what that means, the different methods that they're going to employ to do this, and the positives, the negatives, the pros, the cons, and some of the challenges that exist with going in these directions. We're also going to talk about scalability issues and the feasibility of all of this in the future, as well as timelines. So much stuff to discuss. Luckily, we have Jason Riggs here with us to break this all down for us. He's the Director of Strategy at Technetics. Jason, welcome to another episode of the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So Jason, as we talk about the aviation industry going greener, the first question is, why does it need to go greener? Give, give us you know, some of the numbers and some of the things that we need to know about the current state of the, of the aviation industry as it relates to emissions and things along those lines. Sure. So right now, the aviation industry is responsible for about 2% of global CO2 emissions. Mm-hmm. And some would argue that number is actually probably going to go up for a couple reasons. One, increasing demand. People are flying more and more. And two, other industries that are also contributing to CO2 emissions are working to reduce their output and their emissions, and therefore the share kind of attributed to aviation could ultimately go up. Mm -hmm. So the industry is taking this really seriously and have made a, 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 a commitment and a goal to really be carbon neutral by 2050. So what sorts of things are they looking at doing to make this happen? What, what options exist and what are kind of the, the primary avenues to, to make this happen? So there's a few different things the industry is looking at. Uh, one would be leveraging hydrogen mm-hmm. as a source of fuel. Um, two is leveraging sustainable aviation fuels. And then third would be uh, pure battery electric. So those are kind of the three main technologies that uh, different companies are working on to try to help get to that, that goal of uh, you know, carbon neutral by 2050. So let's talk then about hydrogen specifically then. Um, What are some of the challenges in moving aircrafts towards hydrogen? Talk to me a little bit about hydrogen as a fuel and maybe some of the the barriers that need to be overcome then. Sure. So hydrogen is interesting. There's a couple different ways you can use hydrogen to power an aircraft. Mm -hmm. One would be to burn the hydrogen in the turbine engine. Um, So you can have a turbine engine with slight modifications and actually input the hydrogen and burn it right through the turbine. The second way would be to use hydrogen uh, in a fuel cell, and the fuel cell creates electricity, and that electricity then powers electric motors. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, hydrogen can also be used to, uh, to actually manufacture sustainable aviation fuels. So those are, the, those are kind of the three um, different avenues that different companies are working on to leverage hydrogen. Um, there's, hydrogen's interesting. So, Liquid hydrogen itself is 100 times higher energy density than the current lithium battery technology. Uh, And it's also about three times uh, higher than than kerosene jet fuels. Um, The challenge is when you start adding in the weight of the storage tanks and all the equipment required to actually hold that hydrogen, uh, that energy density drops by roughly a third to two thirds. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a perfect solution, even though hydrogen in and of itself is uh, has higher energy density than some of these other kind of competing technologies. Uh, the other thing I'll note is, you know, one of the biggest challenges with putting hydrogen in an aircraft is, is really storage. Yeah. yeah. Right. So as we mentioned, you 
when you start adding in the equipment required to actually store the hydrogen itself, the energy density drops. So, you know, at room temperature, uh, hydrogen is a gas, and that makes it difficult to store in large quantities. So to really make this effective in an aircraft, um, it needs to be compressed into a liquid and stored at very, very low temperatures. Mm -hmm. And that alone creates some some additional problems, right? So now you have to have tanks that are uh, able to hold those high pressures, and you also have to have systems on board that will keep that hydrogen at those cold temperatures. Um, and, and ultimately what that does is it, it it increases the weight of the aircraft. It also uh, means that you need more space in the aircraft to carry that hydrogen than you would for a traditional kerosene fuel. So now you've got a problem where you've added these new systems, you've increased the overall weight and potentially the size of the aircraft. Um, and some detractors will note that that alone means that now the aircraft is bigger, heavier, has more drag, and therefore is gonna require more energy to, to actually move the aircraft and therefore it might negate, might negate uh, any potential gains that you would get by moving to the hydrogen. So the technology is there. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on right now in terms of different ways to store it. Uh, but certainly the industry is not in agreement that this is kind of the ultimate solution that's going to get us there. Um, on, on the storage side, there's some really interesting things that are happening. That And, and I will note that um, a recent study by McKinsey where they noted that storage uh, is kind of the, the gating and pacing item really to adopting hydrogen in some form or fashion mm -hmm. in, in an aircraft. So there's a lot of different companies that are looking at different ways to store hydrogen. Um, one of which uh, is a company called NovaDev, and they actually have licensed some technology from NASA. Uh, NASA's developed literally what they call a flux capacitor <laughs> storage technology. That's the actual name. And it's available uh, to be licensed by commercial companies uh, mm -hmm. to leverage in different technologies. And NovaDev is one of the companies that's licensed that. And that's just one potential solution to, you know, potentially being able to store hydrogen in a more efficient, compact way uh, so that maybe you're not having to build a larger, bigger, heavier air aircraft. Yeah. Um, and, and again, the if, if the if the industry can kind of overcome the the storage uh, question, I think that there is um, there this could be a potentially viable solution. The other thing the industry is going to have to determine is again how how is the hydrogen leveraged in the aircraft? Is it more efficient to to burn the hydrogen through the turbine, or is it more efficient to use the hydrogen as an input into a fuel cell and then power electric motors? And that latter solution is quite interesting, but also creates some, some new challenges in terms of how do you distribute that uh, high-voltage electricity throughout the aircraft. Um, and that alone is creating some, some new technical challenges that don't exist with current uh, architectures in, in aircraft. Interesting, interesting. So those are some of the barriers, some of the challenges, but let's say you know the aviation industry is able to go in a, in a fully hydrogen direction. What's the net effect? Does this really help the industry match and, and reach its sustainability goals? Yeah, potentially. Um, so there's a couple different ways to look at, I guess, kind of the net output mm -hmm. if you were to, you know, fly an aircraft on hydrogen. So uh, I'll reference some some recent work by Aviation Week. Um, and the first, the first way they kind of quantified this is they look at what they call well-to-tank CO2 emissions. And that really is looking at 
the emissions from the production and the distribution of that energy. Mm -hmm. So if we look at first green hydrogen, uh, green liquid hydrogen has a CO2 output of about 15 grams per kilowatt hour. Again, so that's that's the well to tank. That's kind of the, the production and distribution. So green, uh, green hydrogen is at about 15 grams per kilowatt hour. Then if we look at uh, kerosene fuels, which is what we burn today, yeah. you're at about 54. Uh, then if you go to batteries, you're actually at about 133 grams per kilowatt hour. And that number assumes that you're having to replace the batteries every 2,000 cycles. So mm -hmm. that kind of bumps that number up. And then lastly, if we look at um, the gray hydrogen, which is what most of the hydrogen that's out there today is, is, is how it's produced, you're at 463 grams per kilowatt hour. So again, if we go back to, to green, you know, it's only 15 grams per kilowatt hour, but only 2% of the hydrogen that's produced today is actually produced uh, in this, you know, considered green hydrogen. So hmm. if we, if the industry can kind of move towards, you know, that uh, green hydrogen production, potentially the well-to-tank emissions uh, could be significantly lower than that of the typical uh, kerosene jet fuels that we're burning today. And, and this is kind of a broader uh field of study, you know, for, for the broader hydrogen market, uh, which of course encompasses not just aerospace, but, you know, different, different vehicles and, uh, you know, just kind of uh, energy needs uh, throughout industry. And, and this is one of the areas that Technetics and Enpro are really looking at closely uh, because, you know, we have ceiling technologies today that actually lend well to some of the work that's being done, again, not just in aviation, but in kind of the broader hydrogen market. Right. Um, the second way to kind of think about emissions. And to your question, you know, does this really get us where we need to go? Uh, again, Aviation Week uh, kind of quantified what they call tank-to-wake emissions. Mm -hmm. So that's looking at what's coming out of the tail end of the aircraft if we're burning, uh, you know, these different fuels. So, of course, hydrogen, it's zero emissions. If you're burning hydrogen, uh, there's zero CO2 emissions. Uh, kerosene is kerosene fuels are about 265 grams per kilowatt hour, and of course, battery is zero. So, if we just look at what comes out of the tail end of the aircraft, of course, battery and and kerosene, uh, or sorry, battery and hydrogen are much much lower than that of kerosene. But right. we also have to look at that well to tank uh, number as well. What is the emissions related to the production and distribution of that energy? Mm -hmm. So. It, will will it help get us there? The, I think the answer is absolutely yes. If we're just thinking about uh, creating hydrogen in a green way and burning hydrogen in an aircraft, absolutely, there will be a reduction in CO2 emissions. But again, there's those technical challenges to actually make it work in the aircraft. And then there's the question of how is the hydrogen actually being produced and is the net effect kind of what we want it to be. Sure, sure. And, and even when we talked to obstacles and talked about challenges to overcome, we didn't really talk about cost. What is, what's the cost associated with this? Hydrogen. So again, referencing some work by Aviation Week, um, about seven cents a kilowatt hour for kerosene, and versus about twelve cents a kilowatt watt hour for for hydrogen, mm -hmm. um, and, and those are kind of rough numbers. But and, and again, it depends on how the hydrogen is produced. I've seen figures as high as uh, you know thirty nine cents per kilowatt hour for hydrogen. So hydrogen, as of today, is much much more expensive um, than kerosene jet fuels. Uh, and that is certainly one of the questions that the industry is going to have to wrestle with is how much can that cost be brought down? And ultimately, how much of that cost is going to have to be passed along to the consumer? And will the consumer be prepared to bear that cost? Mm -hmm. um, these, are, these are tough questions that uh, are being debated. Um, but the reality is right now, hydrogen is more expensive 
than kerosene jet fuels. This is where so much of the conversation around sustainability currently goes, right? Because so many of the things that we look at and we say, this makes what I do more sustainable, greener, you know, reduces emissions, that sort of thing. Because it's not as accessible right now as, uh, like even if we just look at an example of a car, I'm gonna, probably going to pay more for an EV than for a standard, you know, um, you know, fuel-burning car, that sort of thing. That's just kind of where we are in the, the life cycle, the growth of, of some of these products, right? It's just that right now you're going to pay a premium for things that, that are greener. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I think the expectation is that once the industry kind of adopts uh, one of these technologies, the infrastructure starts to mature, um, you know, efficiency is gained, cost will ultimately come right. down. Right. Um, the question is just, you know, how fast uh, and when will that happen and who's going to kind of bear that cost? So one of the things that's being tossed around a lot when we think about not just hydrogen, but other solutions like sustainable aviation fuels is uh, what kind of government programs and incentives and subsidies might enter into the equation. Mm -hmm. uh, some would argue that without that, these green initiatives don't really have much of a fighting chance. That's really interesting. Well, since you, since you brought it up, let's talk timeline, right? Uh, I, I think off the top you mentioned uh, a goal of 2050. Um, talk to us about the timeline of hydrogen, given some of the other factors that we've talked about, like the, the obstacles to overcome, cost, things along those lines. Sure. So Airbus is really, I would say, between Airbus and Boeing, Airbus is kind of really leading the charge in you know, potentially adopting hydrogen as a, as a fuel for uh, aircraft. Mm -hmm. And so the timeline that they've established uh, is that by 2035, they want to have a hydrogen aircraft into service. Now, I think what's often overlooked is that aircraft is likely a short to medium range aircraft, and it's likely going to be a smaller regional jet type aircraft, right? And if we look at the aircraft that fly the most and are the most responsible for CO2 emissions, it's narrow bodies. Mm. The reality is uh, those narrow body jets aren't, are going to be sometime after uh, 2035. Um, a recent Bloomberg article uh, quoted one of, one of the Airbus officials. Uh, it, it recently told the EU that a jet above 150 seats powered by hydrogen is not likely until somewhere around 2050. So in 2035, they will likely be flying some kind of a hydrogen jet, but it's not going to be the, um, the narrow body jets that everybody's used to seeing. Right. That, that's going to be sometime, uh, you know, in the future. So talk to me a little bit then about um, when we began this conversation today, we were talking about hydrogen, but also there was another option of sustainable aviation fuels. Can we talk a little bit about SAF or SAF, you know, sustainable aviation fuels, and talk a little bit about the, the comparison between the two and, and maybe why some people have tended towards hydrogen while others have gone more towards the SAF route. Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, first off, we'll, let me just comment on what, what is SAF. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. a biofuel. Um, it's made from waste resources and renewable biomass. So basically what that means is, um, you know, the waste product from, say, the uh, lumber industry or, or um, you know, food stock that was created specifically for energy production, hmm. right? So it, it's, there's, there's a lot of different sources for that biomass. Uh, one of the concerns uh, about sustainable aviation fuels is how much, uh, you know, how, how much could the food stock actually be affected? We had, you know, similar discussions when uh, E85 and ethanol fuels and so on were, uh, you know, were kind of the, the fad a few years ago. So that's definitely one of the questions around SAF. Um, but what's really interesting about SAF is today's jet engines can run on a blend of about 50% SAF, 50% kerosene today. 
So if we had um, the volume of sustainable, sustainable aviation fuel, SAF, that we needed, we could literally be blending that with kerosene jet fuels today and, and flying it. Um, so it, it's, it's more of a near-term solution. And this is something that Boeing and Airbus both seem to agree on, that for the next decade, SAF is the most likely um, kind of solution to reducing CO2 emissions uh, globally. So, and I also want to note in a, a recent CNBC article, the CEO of Airbus actually mentioned that they anticipate being uh, able to run 100% on SAF by the end of this decade. So by 2030, Airbus jets should be able to run completely on sustainable aviation fuel. So if we kind of think about that timeline versus what we talked about with hydrogen, you can see that SAF is, is, is probably a more likely solution um, in the next decade. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about SAF is if we think about the infrastructure required to support hydrogen versus SAF, um, SAF is better positioned to be able to rely on some of the infrastructure that exists right now in terms of transportation, in terms of uh, storage at an, at, at an airport, in terms of you know, the fuel delivery at an airport. But then also if we think about uh, going back to our discussion on uh, storage within an aircraft, mm -hmm. SAF is a liquid fuel, much like kerosene, that can live in the same tank systems and use the same delivery systems in an aircraft that you know, just standard uh, kerosene jet fuels uh, can, can rely on. Whereas hydrogen, likely for hydrogen to ultimately become a feasible solution, we're probably talking about radically different looking jets than what we have now, right? So Airbus is even looking at a, a kind of a classic blended wing design. These are radical changes in architecture. Yeah. So the argument for SAF is that it's, it's something that can be easily adopted today. Aircraft run on it today. Uh, you know, airport infrastructure can support it today. The challenge is scalability. Yeah. So some interesting kind of facts on, on SAF. Uh, in 2021, there were 100 million liters of SAF um, used by the industry, which mm -hmm. sounds like a lot. But a, a recent study by IATA uh, noted that production needs to be up around 7.9 billion liters by 2025. Wow. Uh, for it to really start to gain traction. But that's still only 2% of what the industry needs. So we're, we were at 100 million liters in 2021. They're looking at 7.9 billion liters by 2025, and that still only gives us 2% of the fuel that we would need. So then the IATA report goes on to say that by the middle of the century, uh, they're looking at 449 billion liters, which is about 65%. So you can see it's SAF, it's, it's technically feasible, uh, but the issue is scalability. You know, okay. So if we're talking 2050, 449 billion liters, we're only at 65% of what we need. So what that, I think what that tells a lot of people who are you know, trying to kind of pick uh, the winner between these, these two potential solutions is a blend of SAF and kerosene is probably going to be the most likely solution for the next decade. Yeah. And then as we get into the mid-2030s, that's where I think we're really going to have a better feel for is hydrogen going to be a solution that's only kind of adopted for the small regional jets, or have they figured out the storage uh, challenges with hydrogen, and is it something that can actually support, you know, wide bodies and narrow body production, um, or is it going to be a blend of the two, where maybe hydrogen is used for regional jets and a blend of SAF and kerosene is maybe used for, you know, your, your more traditional jetliner? Um, these are questions that are very difficult to answer, and the reality is if you ask Boeing and you ask Airbus, you're going to get two different answers. Sure. Boeing seems to kind of lean more towards SAF. 
Uh, Airbus seems to really kind of be leaning more towards hydrogen. Uh, what we know as Technetics and as Enpro is there's a lot of development work being done now by industry on both of these fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly they require different technical solutions, whether it be storage or power delivery. Um, and for us, you know, with a, a primary focus in sealing, the great thing is our technologies that are available today, our sealing products that are available today, can support what the industry is doing both in hydrogen and in SAF. So we're really excited about kind of how we're positioned today and, you know, just going to kind of play along and see where the industry decides to go over the next 10 to 15 years. But the, it, it's a question that uh, is going to take quite a few years, I think, to kind of shake out. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to know more about it now, having had this conversation. So Jason Riggs, Director of Strategy at Technetics. Jason, thanks for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. Of course, for more, you can always visit the Technetics website and stay tuned to upcoming episodes of the podcast. We'll be back soon with more episodes with experts like Jason, bringing you uh, expert insights and analysis on the topics that matter most to you. But for this one, we will talk to you again very, very soon. Make sure to subscribe, stay up to date with the latest, and we'll see you again very soon.